This is Harry Gilbert from Walkabout Country Club. I'm Jeff Campbell, Program Director for the HTM Master's Program at San Diego State University. I'm Emma Doyle from Ace Online Coach. I'm Preston Lemon from Wilson Racket Sports. We are Tennis Industry United. Hi, my name is Chris Michalowski, known as Coach Mick of the United States Tennis Association. And I'm Doug Cash, founder of Cashflow Tennis. Welcome to this episode of the Tennis Industry United podcast. Now, while most clubs have opened, there's still a few that have not. And on top of that, it's time to start programming for the fall, and it's actually past time. And we still don't know if the schools in most areas are going to be open or not. And this makes it tough, especially when it comes to planning for the fall. Well, today we get to talk to Butch Staples, National Racket Sports Director for Midtown Athletic Clubs. But before we get to Butch. Doug, is there anything you want to add as insight to last week's episode with Charles or any other news you have for our listeners and what's happening out there? Sure. Uh, Well, Charles gave us some good insights on the forgiveness of PPP loans and the time frame. And we've concluded there's a probably a two to five month time frame before you get your loan forgiven. And that probably will now be in 2021, which does make a difference from the profit and loss standpoint of clubs. The other interesting fact on a USTA phone call yesterday, I learned that 51 college tennis programs have been dropped in the last eight weeks, which is a bit alarming. And uh, so hopefully all of us can do some things to help college tennis because it's not good to lose that many programs ever, more or less in eight weeks. So that's another concern right now. Thanks, Doug. And since you were the COO of Tennis Corporation of America, the parent company of Midtown, I just feel you should introduce our special guest today. I'd love to. First of all, I'd like to introduce Butch Staples. And uh, he's one of the best hires that TCA or Midtown ever made. Uh, And he's progressed his way up the ranks to be the National Racket Sports Director for all the clubs that have tennis in the Midtown family. Butch was the Midtown Chicago Director of Tennis, which is probably one of the biggest tennis jobs in the country. And TCA has clubs in Florida, Georgia, New York, Illinois, uh, and in the country of Canada up in Montreal, sporting good to Sanctuaire. Uh, He's also been worked for the Dennis Vandermeer organization, and he is probably one of the leading teachers of other coaches uh, in how to teach tennis and his standards of what happens on the court are as high as you can get in our industry. So we're very welcome to have Butch Staples in our podcast today to give us insight on the industry and how Midtown's doing. Welcome, Butch. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Mick. Uh, it's really an honor uh, to share a little bit about where we are currently in terms of the the COVID situation. Uh, We've got six of our clubs that are open out of the eight. Three of them only for a couple of weeks now. It's been two weeks. Our two southerly clubs in Western Florida and Atlanta have been open since June 15th. So we're uh, a Rochester club. We're hoping to open it later in in August. And our Bannockburn Chicago Line Club will open next Wednesday, actually. We've got some going and we're anticipating uh, the other. So uh, we're learning a lot as we go along and uh, we're adapting. We're modifying what we thought were going to be certain decisions. And we, we found that it's more like being in a swamp with a compass than having a GPS. You know, that's really the way I feel it is today. Hey, Butch, let's start with your title, because as I was uh, filtering through your 
multiple pages of accolades. I had you down as the uh, national tennis director. And then you corrected me before the podcast and said, well, your new title is the national racket sports director. And I'm assuming that's because you either have already introduced or you're introducing padel or pickleball or other racket sports to Midtown Athletic Clubs. And also, does that change when it comes to the tennis directors of each club as well? It sure does. Uh, thank you, Mick. And, they, and you're right, it, it really is because of the multiplicity of, of racket sports in, in, in our environments. And not all of our clubs have the same racket sports, but we do uh, paddle in our northerly clubs is an important uh, uh, part of our menu. Squash at some of our clubs, especially in Atlanta, Montreal and Rochester. Pickleball is on a fast growth curve and uh, we're looking at, at Padel as well. So it's exactly right. The uh, racket sports uh, managers now oversee, or they always have, but we've made it more clear in terms of their responsibility with these other activities. So myself, I play more of a strategic role in the company as, as a director looking over all the clubs in, in terms of the strategy and the, and the future of where we're going with our racket sports. Racket sports managers in the club, they're responsible for the execution, more the, uh, what we call the tactical side, the adaptive side of, uh, of our programming. So the programming lead comes from national and the execution is at the club level. Well, the sport is changing. So it's good to see that some of these titles are as well to follow suit. Yeah, I was with somebody yesterday and they're saying at our Bannockburn club and uh, Mike Haber, one of our respected associates said, it's a shame that uh, pickleball didn't adapt uh, just by two feet the size of the, or the length of their court and one foot the width because it would have fit perfectly on a tennis court in terms of the, the lines of the service line and the 60-foot sidelines and things like that. So, yeah, we're looking at ways, at, even within the, the, the company, as we grow certain things, we may modify spaces just because, you know, uh, the rule is a rule, but if we're not having a tournament, we want to use the space effectively and simply to, to be able to build skills and enjoy the sport. Uh, Butch, you said you opened some clubs and some aren't open yet. You said you had to make some changes from what your original opening plans were. Can you give us a few of those and how they've worked out? Yeah, you know, when, when, when we look at it, where we are right now, we're okay. We're certainly not in the position we'd like to be and we were hoping to be, but we're in a position where we're, we're growing and we're improving day to day. Some of the uh, the changes, we had a four-phase plan that by the time we opened the clubs within a few days of the, f the first phase, we, we made some adaptations in, in terms of uh, looking at it. So some of our clubs have an outdoor environment. Some only have an indoor environment. So we have to look quite differently at it. One thing we do know is that uh, tennis is an incredibly safe sport, and a lot of it is in the, in the marketing and the communication. So our number one effort across all of our clubs has been to demonstrate to our members how incredibly safe Midtown clubs are. We're super proud of the investments we've made and the amount of efforts that we've made to keep everyone safe. That's both our associates, our team members, as well as our uh, actual members. Some of the challenges we face is how to effectively communicate that to make sure that, because there are a lot of perceptions in the industry in terms of spaces, but I guarantee you there's no other club company that has protected in terms of the space for our associates, because we know that's one of the big issues. It's not just the wearing of masks and the uh, social distancing, but it's really is the, the feeling, the perception that individuals have in space. 
I worked out this morning in our Chicago club. It was incredible the size of the, the, the space and the number of people working out, how distributed we were and how safe it felt to be in there. So that's really what our biggest issue and effort has been is, a, is around that. So we've had to adapt a little bit in terms of working with our, our members and actually using them with testimonials to try to communicate via social media and other ways to the other members that please come into the club and, and give it a try because you'll see that you're going to feel a lot different than you perceived initially. So that's the biggest adaptation. Well, Butch, I've been to your Chicago club and it's an amazing club. But one thing Doug and I have been doing for about the last eight weeks have been talking to clubs that have been opening up all over the country. Now I notice it seems like you're just starting to open up all of your clubs or most of your clubs. Is there a reason for that based on location or was it more of a strategy to see how things kind of panned out? What's the idea behind that? We felt that we didn't want to be the company. We didn't want to be the first clubs to open. We wanted to see how things went. And obviously with clubs in different parts of the country uh, and in Canada, we have to take into consideration all the government, state and local mandates that are there and the protocols. So we've worked tremendously. We're very proud of what Stephen Schwartz, our CEO and owner, the efforts that he made in terms of the state of Illinois in terms of trying to help the, you know, not just the governor, but the mayor of Chicago understand our industry, not just tennis, but the whole fitness perspective in terms of what we could do safely for, for people, because it's so important that exercise routines and healthy activity stays a part of our lives, because the way we can do it is through our uh, tennis and fitness industry. But at the same time, you know, it's a business decisions and we knew that we needed a certain volume of participation. So we were careful in terms of getting our clubs ready and making sure that uh, we reached out to our, to our members to be able to bring the volume of participants back that we needed to be a viable business. And Butch, speaking of that volume, about what percentage of your members have come back into the club, both in either fitness and or tennis or combined? Yeah, uh, yesterday or actually two days ago, looking at our most cellularly club, uh, Weston, from a tennis perspective, we're looking at rain in, in Florida. We know how that affects business volumes at different times, but we're looking at about 65% of what we did last year in the same month from a financial perspective. So it tells us that that's pretty healthy from a tennis perspective. We're happy with that number. On the fitness side, it's not there yet. Each club is different. So if I was to compare Weston to Windy Hill, I think it's necessary to look at the business volume by state, by club, rather than just across. If I average it across, it really is not as meaningful as looking at it by club because the clubs that are open for two weeks, they're definitely on an incremental growth. Our check-ins in Chicago uh, in the last few days are much higher than they were the first few days that we opened two weeks ago. So we're feeling good about that. A lot of it's word of mouth. It's members coming in and then speaking to their friends and talking about how safe they feel. And so it's funny, you know, the city of Chicago, we have to wear masks playing tennis indoors. So obviously that's a big effect. A lot of people, it's not just the, the question of the safety. It's just the, they just don't find it comfortable. So they're choosing to stay outside. So we're using our skills in terms of our coaches, because we all know that coaches are a tremendous draw to uh, to participation so we one of the adaptations we made is we fast forwarded our programming initially we we're going to stay with uh, private and semi-private and private groups uh, and restrict a little bit in the youth side 
but we've picked that up quite a bit. And so we're starting our, what we call a mini session to finish off the summer in our Chicagoland clubs on the uh, 10th of August. So we're bringing programming in a little bit quicker than we'd anticipated. And that's one of the reasons that uh, Weston has been so successful. We really did push that uh, very quickly. We had our high performance program going the day we opened down there with restrictions, of course, and it proved out to be really well. So we used Weston a little bit for our uh, testing ground with uh, ratios, with participation, with safety protocols and that. We're happy it's growing. But it's not where, of course, where we uh, had anticipated it being at, you know, if we were to go back two months, we were hoping to have gotten, you know, a better start at each of the clubs. The uh, difference between the inside tennis indoors versus the outdoors, are you seeing any people hesitant to go indoors and only want to play outdoors? Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, it's strange. And one of our, our, our big issues, because we have, you know, the team season in the north is, is begins, well, pretty well around the country, but it begins late August, early September. And the formation of teams, there's actually, if let's say there's 12 members on a team, just as a number, and uh, you have, uh, you know, seven or eight of them that are fine with the indoor environment, but there's three or four or whatever, not so so happy with the, with the indoor environment. So we do know that in the North, uh, the leagues are generally indoor uh, seasons, even though, they could be still playing outdoors. So there, it brings certain decisions by members. We've been very kind. Our company gave what we call complimentary holds or freezes on membership. If uh, some of the members were a little bit sketchy about coming back, we gave them complimentary freezes for a period of time. And we feel that was the right thing to do, but it puts them into a decision-making process when groups start up and they want their kids in the, in the programs and that, but they've been playing tennis outdoors and they're a little uncertain about coming in. So that's why our big push is to try to demonstrate the real safety of the space that we have. It's incredible. I mean, indoor 6,400 square feet of space and the volume when you're at 24 foot high ceiling, uh, it's like such a huge volume. So it just doesn't make sense that people don't realize that how safe an environment that is. You know? Give me the, your two cents on, you're the first company I know of because of Illinois, that has to wear face coverings when they play. What, what has been the reaction and how has that affected play or pros? Give us a little insight on that. Well, I tested it really early on. I mean, I, I went out with Mike Mahoney at 7 a.m. one morning, played for two hours. And we have a very, very safe, the, the, the mask that we have, our company, issued masks it's almost uh it's a double what a normal mask would be just in terms of protection so of course myself being uh not as in shape as i'd like to be i huffed and puffed and of course by the end of it my mask was basically dripping and it was it was uncomfortable but it, it didn't stop me once i get by the mindset of the activity it didn't stop me from performing it didn't restrict my ability to breathe or but it is you know, different, especially our more senior members. They're challenged by, by it. It's just something they feel very uncomfortable with. But we found after two weeks that many of the members that come in on a regular basis, they've kind of accepted it. You know, they've been able to to deal with it much better. But it is a restrictor. Really, as we were at, I think, 43% court occupancy yesterday, and that is based from our 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. indoor court in the summer, which is not a bad we know that we'll be at 65% by the, the 10th of August for indoor 
occupancy, which isn't which isn't bad. Well, I hope you beat Michael. That's all I got to say on that. <laughs> um, how about your team coming back? All of them come back? Have you brought them back in waves? Have you not brought some back? Tell us about how that has occurred. Okay, club by club, it's a little bit different, but I'm really pleased to see the number of coaches that came back. For instance, in Weston, we had two that didn't come back, one that was more of a part-timer and one that was full-timer, and they were very good decisions, and I totally supported it. I was there kind of running the show when, when that all came down, and it was, it was interesting. It was the right thing in their lives because of the opportunities they had with their families and the distance that they had to travel to come to the club, and they had opportunities. So it was really the right thing to do. So in most cases, the coaches that didn't come back it was that kind of a situation, but we do have a very, I'd, I'd say across the company, we're certainly at 90% of our coaches uh, back in the first six clubs that have opened. Now, what we did to, to bring them back help with an incentive because we started with private, semi-privates and private groups. For instance, some of our coaches that were doing a lot of group teaching with adult instructional program or cardio tennis or working with teams, they just reached out. So even before they started, when we brought them on for their uh, training, for the COVID training, they started reaching out to their participants even before we opened the club and forming groups and bringing them in. Some of our coaches have done extremely well because the company decided to give 100% of the commission, less, of course, the uh, payroll taxes and the benefit costs, which we just evaluated at 15%. So we gave 85% of the full commission. So a private lesson that's, let's say, just for a round figure, $100, the coaches were getting $85. And a private group, four people, is $162 of revenue. Uh, coaches were getting 85% of that. So it, it was a great incentive. So that way, if a coach came back with uh, a third or 40% or 50% of their lesson volume, they were actually doing as well as, or at least as well as what they were doing prior to that. Now, some of the coaches didn't benefit from it as much. They didn't have the relationships. They weren't as sales driven. Uh, so that's not everyone. But at the same time, the coaches that took it seriously have done done very well. And that we did for 30 days. And that's why we wanted to get the programming going because if we get the programming going, they, even though they shift back to what we call their primary commission, they're able to uh, pick up the volume based on programs rather than just depending on their own ability to recruit lessons. So it's blended. It's worked out pretty well. Weston has really been a huge, smooth transition. They've gone off that 85% because they're past the 30 days. Whereas, uh, you know, the Chicagoland clubs are, they're two weeks into it. They're halfway there. And I see some of the, <laughs> I see some of the coaches, um, one of the coaches uh, in the first five days made $2,200. That's not a bad income for five days of, of work as a tennis coach. So, yeah, we're, we're pleased. The company it was a big, big decision for the company to do that, to give all of the revenue, especially when the company is sort of bleeding in the sense that, you know, you're losing money when you're closed and you're losing money when you first open and to make that gesture. But it, it was the right thing to do. So I'm very pleased with that. I think that was a wonderful idea. Did they also do that with personal trainers? Yes, they did. And uh, the uh, massage and the, uh, the spa, they certainly did. And did that work as well there? I think so. It, you know, again, it, it really, I, I was talking and it, it gets back to those relationships. Our company actually has allowed some virtual training with trainers where people want to stay in their home and they had some fitness equipment. So they've been able to train them virtually. And that as well as helped the trainers because 
they could be on the, on the, on the field or in one of our fitness studios uh, and they're training their, their, their students virtually. So that was a, another pretty cool decision by the company. That's very nice. Uh, have you had any cases of either a team member, associate, coming down with COVID-19 or any members or a participant in a camp or anything? Have, have you had to face that dilemma? And not in the tennis specific. We've uh, faced it where, and nothing, none of it was generated through the club. It was cases we've had some back office personnel, two of our clubs that tested, that got sick and tested. So we had to quarantine uh, some of the other associates. So we have our protocols. So we're super, as you know, Doug, we're, we're super careful. And so that has happened, but it's nothing that has when we think about it, it doesn't come anywhere close to what's happening out in society. Like our club so far, we've been because we test, we do temperature checks and we do all of the, uh, the testing in terms of how people are feeling. We don't want them in the club if they're not feeling well. And uh, we've been super careful and that's been, I'm, I'm really happy this far into it with some of our clubs open a, a month plus and the others a few weeks with the volume of members that have come and going and of all of our associates We've been very fortunate in that regard. Well, thanks, Butch. Now let's talk fall real quick. And we're not sure yet. I think most states aren't sure whether school is going to start up or not. Do you have any fall programming changes that you're going to make? Or are you waiting to see if schools are opening up or not? Yeah, so we're going ahead with our fall programming. That's It's all going through what we call a junction, which is all our submission into our CSI and getting everything ready for registrations and that. And we made a decision that if, if the kids aren't in school, they're going to be homeschooled or working in their, in, in their family environment. We still feel that the best time of the day for the kids to be at the club will be late afternoon. We want them, if their normal school day is during the day and they're at home, basically we want them to follow that same schedule. If they're in a school where they're at the school two days a week and they're home three days, we want them to follow that same schedule. So we're planning on running the majority of our youth programs after school. We're not making any changes at all on that. So we're going forward with that. Will it bring some changes in terms of the adult orientation? Because obviously if moms or dads or whatever have to be home with the children during the day and they were coming to the club for some of our group exercise programming or our adult group lessons or, or, or whatever, because the kids were in school, that'll probably change the mix and we're keeping ourselves open to seeing how that goes. Like we're actually planning to offer classes at slightly different times for our adult programming, our team practices, our uh, adult groups, our cardio classes and that, because we, we sense there will be some shift in terms of usage by the adults. Butch, that also could mean a little shift in some of your associates being able to work if their kids don't go back to school on particular days, if they're now used to that. Uh, have you thought about that at all? Yeah, spot on. Uh, we, we have that shift will probably coincide with the shift that we see in terms of the classes. I think many of our associates, many of our tennis, I'll talk specifically about tennis, it will shift their, the, the hours that they are. Uh, some of them that were doing more daytime teaching, they find themselves now doing a little bit more evening teaching or early morning teaching. It is going to shift, Doug, you're, you're spot on with that. And we're not sure exactly how it will affect, but we, we're cognizant that it is going to have a big, big impact on us. I have one more comment with that. I, I think that uh, the CARES Act also provided with what happens if daycare 
and this was in March, uh, is not available, what kind of time off you must give an employee as a employer. And I believe school is going to be considered part of that daycare. And so there's some good rules and regulations people should know. And I believe it applies to any industry or club or company that has over 50 employees. So that's another subject for us to talk another time. What are those conditions to give those people uh, the time off they need uh, if there's no daycare? Good point. Well, Butch, is there any other insight you have for our listeners right now based upon your experience out there? No, I, I mean, just glass half full, you know, it's it struggled. And that's the thing is each day we get up and we face different challenges. But the reality is our, our sport's an incredible sport and our people are resilient. They absolutely are. We have to do things differently. We have to realize that it's not, you know, when somebody says, uh, I want it to come back to you know, normalcy, I want my, my schedule as it was. The reality is it will not be the same, but I'm not in a bad way saying get over it, but just let's work with it. Let's realize that lots of good things to come down the pipe, but we have to massage it and, and we have to be flexible. We have to be ready to do things differently. And to me, that's the big thing, an optimistic, flexible future. So, Yeah, and that seems like that's what I've really heard from you during this whole conversation. Well, thank you, Butch, for joining us. And uh, we just want to wish you well and good luck with the rest of your summer, all of your clubs and the upcoming fall. No, thank you, Mick. Thank you, Doug. I really enjoyed this time together. Doug, do you have any closing comments? Uh, I think Midtown does a great job. I'm a little prejudiced, of course, but uh, they're doing a good job getting people back in the game. And I know they'll continue to grow the game as they always have in the past. Thanks, Doug. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of the Tennis Industry United podcast. We want to thank you for listening. And I'd like to thank my partner, Doug Cash of Cashflow Tennis and our special guest, Butch Staples, National Racket Sports Director for Midtown Athletic Clubs. We hope that you, our listener, can take some of the insight from today's episode to help guide you and some of your decision making. And remember, everything you need to know about the support and assistance currently provided or now in development can be found on the website, tennisindustryunited.com. Well, I'm Chris Michalowski. And I'm Doug Cash. Until next time, keep your head up, be safe, and stay well. And remember, we're all in this together. Tennis, Tennis Industry, Industry United. United.